Thank you, worship team. Hey, church. My name is Jed Danielson. That's my beautiful wife, Callie, on the keys there. I'm blessed. I know. She tells me. She's kidding. She's very humble. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, I've been attending uh, this church for about five years now. been a member for a couple of years been involved on the worship team a little bit, uh, and also with the Recovery Church Ministry. So shout out to my Recovery Church folks out here. We meet on Friday nights at 7 o'clock, by the way, shameless plug, at the North 40 campus. Uh, all are welcome, so come on down. We all have issues that we got to deal with, maybe, that we'll identify today. Um, we're going to continue our series today on the uh, seven letters to the uh, churches in Revelation. So we're going to be talking about the fifth letter, the church of Sardis. So before we get uh, get rolling into it, just join me in a, in a quick word of prayer here. Father, we lift up your name in praise. We worship you. Thank you for being with us here this morning. Thanks for this opportunity to gather. Um, and thanks for each soul that is here in this building and for those who are joining us online. I just pray that your spirit would speak through me to encourage those who need encouragement and teach those who need to learn and maybe convict those that need convicting. You're such a very worthy God. We give you all the praise and the glory. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so before we get into the actual letter, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history, uh, just brief on the actual city of Sardis since I put way too many hours into researching this 2,000-year-old city, Um, from 1,000 years before Christ until several hundred years after this letter was written, Sardis was either the capital city or one of the most important cities uh, for the people groups that had control over it. Started with the Lydians, big empire, big, big kingdom. Then it was the Persian Empire. Well, actually, included after that the Persian Empire and Xerxes, some very, very famous battles uh, with him. Uh, that we have heard of, then Alexander the Great, his successors, and eventually the Roman Empire uh, when this letter was written. So tons of history on this on this city, and you can get lost in it, but I'm going to highlight a couple of items. Number one, it was a very wealthy, extremely wealthy city. It was situated at the base of a mountain range and uh, along a river, and this river was coming out of the mountains, bringing in deposits of gold, that were distributed throughout the river. So the people of Sardis certainly took advantage of that as the first place that they minted coins in the world. And it's where they learned how to separate gold and silver. And they were able to produce the most pure gold and most pure silver that existed at that time in the world. So very wealthy as a result. Number two is a military stronghold. So it was based... It was, like I say, at the base of the what was the Timolus Mountains. So the base or the lower portion of the city was protected by a 60-foot thick wall. And then as you went up the mountainside, as the city stretched up the mountainside, uh, it was protected on three sides by that mountainside and cliffs. Inside the city, there was a famous citadel. This citadel was considered to be the strongest place in the world, and it rose up 1,500 feet from that 
lower portion of the city. So a pretty impressive, strong place. And you could, uh, you could expect that the people of Sardis felt pretty safe and sound. So let's get to, the, get to the letter. If you haven't already, turn with me to Revelation 3. We'll be covering verses 1 through 6, the letter to the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. And he who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, in verse 1, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. They are the words of Jesus. The seven spirits that we hear here, are, that are referred to here, that is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The number seven symbolizes the completeness or the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us or in the, hopefully or ought to be in this church as well. Uh, and the seven stars we heard about back when John talked, uh, talked about the church in Ephesus. And those are seven messengers, whether they're heavenly messengers or earthly messengers, we don't know. Uh, they might have been the, the pastors of the churches, those seven churches. But we do know that Christ is holding these, the Holy Spirit and these seven messengers. And he's going to use them for something important. And now for the second part of the verse, where Jesus just gets right into a rebuke. Now, it says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So, in the previous four letters, Jesus takes a little bit of time to give some praise. And, uh, nope, not here. It just goes right to it. You're dead. And... I'll tell you what, this pretty much defined me for, for about a five to ten year portion of my life. So uh, I did share my testimony up here back in February. I think I actually realized when I got here today I wore the same shirt today. So I'm sure all of you noticed. <laughs> Whoops. But anyway, I'm not going to give a lot of details. But the uh, abridged version is I was raised in a, a Christian, Christ-centered, loving family in a, in a home, um, I knew Jesus from a young age and pursued him throughout my mid to late 20s. I'm 40 years old now, by the way. Um, and I was known to be a believer and a strong believer and a leader in the church and, and in a lot of what I did. And I was successful pretty much in whatever I uh, set out to achieve. That's here. Here, I kind of became uh, stagnant in my faith started to make a few compromises, and then over here, I died. Spiritually, not far from physically, really, uh, but for all intents and purposes, I was dead. So I wish, like, right in here, so right about here, if I would have read this letter, could have saved myself some real 
heartache. Verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So, whew, all right, there's some hope, okay? We're dead, but we're not completely dead. So my wife and I had a plant, uh, a house plant, had a, had a reputation for being alive, I guess you could say, but one day I noticed it looked just dead as a plant could look. Yeah, we probably hadn't watered it for a while. But I mean, shriveled up and dry, dead. And I said, we should probably just get rid of this plant. But Callie says, I think if, maybe if we water it, we'll get it to come back to life. I'm like, no, but yeah, go ahead. So water it. Tell you what, a day or two later, that thing looked almost as good as new. Crazy, right? It was dead. It was alive. So uh, it's kind of uh, similar to us. We might might be pretty close to death, some getting closer than others, but there's always hope in Jesus Christ. Maybe a better story or analogy uh, pointing to this is uh, in the book of John. John 11 talks about the, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus had died, but Jesus told his disciples that he had fallen asleep and that Jesus was going to go there and wake him up. So his disciples were confused about this. And so Jesus told them plainly, okay, he's dead. I'll be honest with you. He's dead. And four days later, when he was really dead, uh, Jesus raised him from the dead. So it's almost as if Jesus was saying, well, as far as I'm concerned, he's asleep because I can wake him up. But for anybody else, he's dead and... Uh, He's not going to wake up. So with Christ, there's always that hope. Uh, for those of us who have experienced those glaringly obvious, spiritually dead times in our lives, uh, this, is, this is great news, right? But also, what about those who maybe aren't sure? Like, are, am I spiritually awake or, or spiritually dead? There is a fairly easy test you just ask yourself a couple of questions here. Ask yourself, if I'm really being honest, do my thoughts and actions reflect Jesus Christ as Lord of my life? That he is in control and that he influences all that I say, think, and do. <laughs> That's a tricky one. If you say no, not at all, or maybe not quite, you might just have a little bit of waking up to do. Uh, as I certainly did and, and still do, to be honest with you. We see that Jesus says in this letter as well, I know your deeds, and then I have not found your deeds complete. Now, Pastor Steve has talked about this, and God knows everything that you have done and have not done, and whether it was good or bad, knows it all. Um, so we, in this case here, we don't know what the people of the church of Sardis were up to and what the story was with their deeds, uh, were they secret sins while maintaining a godly-looking life? Uh, were they just going through the motions of doing these good things, whatever they might have been, to give them a good reputation? Um, did what they do look good on the outside, but uh, just simply was done to look good and with ulterior motives? Now, incomplete. Were they incomplete because they had multiple opportunities to serve, but didn't because they were too busy? Or had some other excuse? 
Um, or maybe they might have been incomplete because they just didn't match up with what was in their heart and in their thoughts. It was something, though. The Bible is clear that we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. So by grace, not by works, for sure. But it also does say that if we have a real faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to be reflected in what we do. Verse 3, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you don't repent and wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Okay? So Jesus tells the church, you, you know the truth. You know what you should do. <laughs> now you've got to do it. That's the kind of important part of it. Um, and for me, during that uh, five to ten year slow death, we, as we could call it, I, I knew what I should do or at least what I shouldn't do. But I didn't change anything. I didn't make any changes. I didn't repent. And I didn't wake up. So I therefore experienced this, uh, this judgment, I guess you could say. Or I, at least I experienced some pretty significant consequences for my action and inaction. Uh, when Jesus says, I will come like a thief, it's, it's not a reference to the second coming. It is a reference of judgment or punishment for, uh, for what the church is, is doing. So I didn't make those changes. I was a 35-year-old man. I had a bachelor's degree in mathematics, education, civil engineering. Um, and I found myself unemployed, divorced, living in my parents' basement. And a skilled alcoholic by the end of it all. And I learned along the way how to do that. So, how did I wake up? Um, I'm a 40-year-old man now, as I said. How am I up here looking potentially productive, happy, and healthy with a beautiful wife? Well, I did have to wake up. Uh, but it was God's faithfulness and grace. Uh, there was no doubt about that. But notice what the passage does say, what it says about the truth and about our faith in these verses that we've already covered. It says to remember it, strengthen it, obey it, and repent. So it sounds like we're supposed to maybe do something, right? So that does work. What didn't work was me praying to God to fix, please fix this disaster that I have created. And then I pop the cork on a bottle and wait for him, right? Didn't work. The prayer didn't work. He's not real. Okay? Or just praying for him to fix it and maybe going about my business as normal. Uh, none of that. That didn't work. So I will share with you a few components of waking up that worked for me. They've worked with uh, several other peoples or some version of them. And my wife said she likes bullet points and sermons, so this is going to be the bullet point application portion. <laughs> so number one is surrender. Number two is make changes and put the work in. And number three is to be grateful. I didn't put number three in because it's Thanksgiving weekend. God just did that because he does not believe in coincidences. just happened. So first of all, surrender. I didn't want to surrender control of my life. I didn't want people to know how far I had fallen. I didn't want any of that. 
But I did start trying. Okay? And I had a lot of surrendering to do. And what was just incredible about that was when I started to give over control portions of my life and give it to God, it was almost like a physical weight would be lifted off of me. It's kind of indescribable, really. And another thing that would happen was when that, when I'd surrendered that item, uh, another item, another portion of my life, uh, God would bring to mind as, yeah, we might want to look at this one too. And it just kind of kept going and going. So surrendering the alcohol was only one step. Uh, and I had a lot of surrendering to do uh, once that was once that was done. So we do need to give over these control or give over control of these to God. Uh, we just have to do it, whether it's a relationship, career, health, finances, specific sins or habits that we just can't break a cycle on. Or if it is chemical addiction, uh, we got to surrender it. The freedom and peace that you're going to feel if you truly surrender that is, is astounding. Uh, it does say in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, uh, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. This is Jesus speaking. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So come to me, come to Christ, come to Jesus, and he's going to lighten that burden for you uh, and make everything a lot easier to handle. But how do we make that stick? All of these kind of go hand in hand and work together, even though they are in the order of one, two, three. And number two, make changes and put the work in. So surrendering is great, feels good. But it does need to be followed up by some effort and by making some changes in, our, in areas of our life so that those changes become the new normal. So Luke 9, 23 to 24, kind of ties all of this together pretty, pretty nicely. He's Jesus speaking again. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. A paraphrase, if you will, could possibly say, if you want to surrender to me, you need to stop doing things your way and you need to make some changes. This will take daily surrender and effort on your part. But whoever holds on to control of their own life is going to lose it. But whoever gives me control will save it. That's what I believe Jesus is saying as it pertains to me for sure. So, in fact, surrender is a daily, even a minute-by-minute -minute effort. Um, and the work in those, those changes can be difficult, especially our human nature. It's always like, Get, I want that control back. It's like, now I, I still want to be able to do what I want in that area. So, anyway, I... I started making these changes, and after a few iterations, I thought I was kind of getting it. I'd reconnected with uh, the Lord. I'd gone to treatment, and once I got out, I relapsed pretty quickly. So that was my first bout of treatment. And basically, I was just—I was still ashamed, and I didn't want to share with anybody about my my issues. Um, 
and I didn't get connected with people in order to uh, have them help me. So this brings me to the third, uh, being grateful. So I had surrendered by giving control to God. I came. So after this last relapse, I had uh, surrendered control. I thought I had come, come clean to him and others. I'd made changes. I was putting the work in. That work included daily time with, in the word and in prayer with the Lord. I went to meetings. I went to, went to and led Bible studies. I was active, became active in the church. It was all working great. And I still relapsed again. Okay? And I relapsed on alcohol, yeah, but before that, I had relapsed on the work and on my program. I stopped doing those things that kept me strong, that the Lord was using to keep me strong. And eventually, it's just going to lead to my personal malady of, um, with alcohol. So the vital component that I was missing, I do believe, is gratefulness. It's been a huge part of my life ever since. So it's a fitting time, I understand, to talk about gratefulness and thankfulness. But I, I assure you, it just, uh, it's the way the Lord works that this, this came up. Uh, but thankfulness and gratefulness, it, it's amazing. It does, if you're practicing that, it's able to fight off these feelings of fear, of shame, inadequacy, resentment, pride, even boredom. Uh, it's almost like a, like a force field. So if you, like this is all that you've got. This, this is all the work that I've been doing and kind of getting my life together and whatever, all that. It's, it's right here. It's a force field right there. Now, what was in here and how nice that ended up looking for me, I was kind of taking credit for that and I was missing a lot of opportunity to give thanks for it, but also in all the other stuff, the small and big things in my life that I had an opportunity to be grateful for. And when I brought that into the, into the mix, it made a, a tremendous amount of difference and was kind of the glue that, that held it all together. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 it says, um, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to, lo- uh, to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And then in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's also in Philippians 4 where Paul talks about the secret of contentment, how he says he's figured out the secret of contentment. And I remember in my younger days that he didn't tell, he didn't, he just said, I discovered it. It, it, it didn't look to me like he told me what it was, which was annoying because I did struggle with some some contentment issues during my life. But if you do look back and read Philippians 4 in its entirety, you're going to see him referencing gratefulness, gratitude, thankfulness all throughout. And that's why uh, I do believe that he was able to discover how to be content. Be grateful. Put that force field on, that shield. There's tons of other verses. You can find them all day long in your Bible. And I I think it speaks to the the integral component that gratefulness is. And now, 
for the rest um, and the remainder of the encouragement here uh, from Jesus. So we'll, we'll cover verses 4 through 6 here. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes, so he who wakes up, will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, those of you who have remained steadfast and, and have stayed awake and active in your faith throughout, I, I commend you. Uh, there's people in this room who have been, uh, their actions and their thoughts have absolutely reflected that Jesus Christ has been Lord of their life without fault all the way through. And uh, your service to the church and to others doesn't go unnoticed and, and it's absolutely integral to the health of our body of Christ right here at the open door, but also also beyond, without a doubt. Um, and then, so he gives, he gives an encouragement to, to you. You're going to walk with Jesus. But he also says to those who overcome. So to those of us who had to or maybe still need to and will do our three bullet points and wake up, surrender, make changes, put the work in, uh, and put the work in, and third, be grateful, uh, we're going to get to be able to join you, and we are going to walk with Jesus together. And Jesus says here that he's going to acknowledge us each to God and to his angels. Now that is a phenomenal truth and encouragement for all of us really here. So, to wrap up, and as just a final note, um, the city of Sardis, military stronghold, and uh, very rich, very, uh, it, it actually fell and was conquered a number of times throughout its history. So, they were safe and sound, but not really. And each time, or many of the times that it was conquered, it was because... It, well, first of all, it happened at night, and then second, it was with armies sneaking over the walls in behind, behind the city, over the cliffs, and sneaking in overnight, infiltrating, and taking the city out. So my challenge to you is this. Be alert and awake, and don't allow a reputation or some sort of an appearance mask your weaknesses. Let's close in, uh, in prayer here. Father, I thank you for being with us this morning and for speaking to us through your spirit. Um, I just pray that you would that we would take your words to heart, myself and, and the folks here and who has, who've listened to this these words. Um, I pray that our words, our thoughts, and our actions would reflect that you are the Lord of our life. Um, thank you for those who have remained steadfast throughout and continue to anchor your church. And for those of us who who maybe need to continue working on waking up, strengthen us with your spirit and remind us that in our weakness, Father, you are strong. Let's not put down our guard, Father, 
and rely on reputation, but surrender to, your, to you daily. Press forward in the pursuit of knowing you better each day. We're grateful for all you're doing, for what you have done, and what you're going to do in our lives moving forward. To you be all of the praise and the glory and the honor. We pray this in your name. Amen.